Scripture reading this morning will be read from Acts 24, verses 10 through 15. Acts 24, verses 10 through 15. Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with elders and a certain order named Tertullus. They gave evidence to the governor against Paul, and when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, Seeing that though we were in, enjoy great peace and prosperity is being brought to this nation by your foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you to hear by your courtesy a few words from us. For we have found this man, a plague, a creator of dissension among the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even... I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verses. Then Paul, the governor, had nodded to him to speak, answered, Insomuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it's no more than twelve days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and neither, they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone or inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city. Nor can they prove the things which they now accuse me. But this I confess you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. I hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Good morning. Several new uh, visitors in the audience, and I probably didn't get to meet all of you, so if you've got a visitor's card in front of you, please fill that out. But we're really glad that you're here. And I'll point this out one more time, September the 10th, out there. It's a big deal. It's not just some, hey, come if you want to type of thing. Please be here. And in order to make it a big deal and to let people know it's a big deal, Eddie even wanted to make sure that I pointed this out. If you were on Facebook and you saw the post on Facebook and you liked it, thanks for liking it, but that doesn't do anything. You have to share that so that your friends can see that too. So make sure you hit the, I don't know, I guess there's a share button. I'm not on the Facebook anymore. So uh, hit the share button or whatever so that your friends can see it and make a big deal out of it. It's a big deal, September the 10th. Anyway, you know, there's not a lot of things that I'd say I'm pretty strong at when it comes to, to speaking. But usually when it comes to my sermons, I feel like my introduction is usually the strongest part of my, my sermon. That is the total opposite uh, this week. I thought all week about, like, how in the world to introduce this topic, and I literally have no idea. So I'm going to give it the old college try here and see if I can wrap you up 
into what we're going to be talking about this morning as I put this little road up here on the screen. Most of us, when you see a road out there, you, you know a couple of things about it. You know it's going somewhere. But you probably don't know where it's going, right? You see a number on the interstate, and you're like, well, I wonder where that one goes. Or this one, or that one. Where does it go? But there are other times we get on the road, and we know exactly where it's going. I get on this Garden State Parkway, and I know exactly where I'm going. I'm going home. Might have to sit in the parking lot for a little while, but I'm going home. And we know where we're going. The Apostle Paul, in Acts the ninth chapter, he got on a road. And he was going to Damascus. And that would have been a very heavily traveled road because Damascus was a big trade city. Jerusalem was right along the way. And so it would have been a very commonly traveled road. And he said, I'm going to Damascus. And he had a reason for going on this road to Damascus. And the reason he was going to Damascus is he was going to find people belonging to the way, that he might bind them up and bring them back to Jerusalem, whether they were men or whether they were women. And you have to ask yourself the question, who? Those belonging to what? Those belonging to the way. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about those who belong to the way. And we're going to deal with that in three questions. We're going to begin by saying, what was or what is the way? Oh, man, I lost, my, I lost my screen already. What is or what was the way? Secondly, we're going to look at, okay, why be called that? Why was that ever a name? And then thirdly, we're going to say, okay, what in the world does that have to do with me here today, 2000, and what year are we in? 16, that year. All right, so let's begin with what was the way? hope you're still there in Acts, the 24th chapter. Because as Paul is being accused, remember how kind of ironic it is that he was going to persecute people according to the way, and yet he himself finds himself being a part of that now. As in Acts 24, he's having to stand up before King Felix in the city of Caesarea, and he's having to defend himself. And what we learn about this way, I want you to notice in verse 5, that one of the accusations against Paul is that we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect. Of the Nazarenes. Well, what we have is the way was a set. What's a set? It's a division. It's a party. And we understand that very well in the year 2016. We got the Democratic Party. We've got the, the, the Republican Party, the Libertarians. We've got parties. But we're all Americans. And here they've got a group that was following the Nazarenes that belong to the Nazarene, you go down now, as Paul defends himself in, here in chapter 24 as well, I want you to notice what he says in verse 14. He says, This I confess to you, that according to the way which is called, or which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law 
and written in the prophets. This group, this sect that followed Jesus, the Nazarene, also claimed to worship the God of the Jewish fathers. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of all the prophets we will learn in the, in the book of Luke. But yet, they were hated by people. As we saw back in verse 4, they were accused of causing trouble throughout the entire world. When Paul comes into the city, riots happen. When Paul starts preaching about the way, people get upset. And so, as they said, they called him a plague. I was watching Andy Griffith show last night, and there was a guy, he was a jinx. Barney's playing checkers. He was winning. This guy walks in the door, stands over his left shoulder. All of a sudden, he loses. So to prove he's not a jinx, Andy says, hey, we always win the fishing contest. We'll have him come get in our boat. So they had the guy get in the boat. Well, guess what happens? The boat sinks. That's what they feel about Paul. When you hear about this guy, Paul, coming into your town, things are about to get crazy. And that's the truth. Because this way, this group was different than the Pharisees. This group was different than the Sadducees. This group was different than the idolatrous Romans and Greeks. Different. And so there was problems. And so therefore Paul decided, hey, I've got to go to Damascus there in chapter 9. I've got to go get these people. These people that are scattering because of me, but in chapter 8 we learned that when they were scattered, they went about spreading and teaching the Word. i got to go put an end to that. And so he went on his way. But there he saw the light. Why don't you go to the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. One of these cities in which one of these riots occurs is in Acts the 19th chapter. And Paul goes into the city of Ephesus, again an important city in, in, in the day, And he goes in, in verse 8, we learn that he entered the synagogue. And that synagogue is the place where Jews would gather to worship God. That's where they would go. And in their midst, he spoke for three months, and he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So for three months, he's there, and he's very confident that he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And so verse 9, when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, here it is, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. There were people in that synagogue that when he was talking about the kingdom of God, about the way, they spoke evil of it. And they did that so that Paul had to gather the disciples and take them over, maybe next door, but in the same city into the school to which they worshipped in the school of Tyrannus. Well, if that was all that happened against the way in Ephesus, that would be terrific. But I want you to notice verse 23. We learn in verse 20 that the word of the Lord won over a lot of people in Ephesus, including people who practice witchcraft. But notice verse 23. At about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. 
This group of people were troublemakers. They got into, here was the complaint that Demetrius brought. They're taking our money. We're silversmiths, and they're going to bring our whole world into disrepute. And so the whole crowd, the whole city goes into an uproar. They're shouting, great is Diana the Ephesians, and they don't even know why. But they're doing it because of the way. So the second question is, why the way? Why would these people who follow Jesus who worship God, why would they be called or known as the way? Because you and I don't say that, do we? What do we call people that follow Jesus and serve God? We call them Christians, don't we? That's not what they called themselves first. It actually appears that the term Christian was actually a derogatory term given to them. That while they were in Antioch, remember in Acts chapter 11, that was where the disciples were first called Christians. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, if anyone suffers as a Christian, remember how the world looked at Christ? They didn't look at Him as this glorified man who was risen from the dead and who is king of the world. They looked at Him as, as the painting depicted, a man with a donkey's head. That was not a name in which they said, yes, Christ. It's different in our world. They were known as disciples. They were those that were of the way. And so if you go there to Acts chapter 9, in the passage that I referenced earlier, you clearly see that they were disciples of the Lord. They were following. They were learning from Jesus And so maybe the reason why they were known as those who were of the way, who belonged to the way, was maybe because you remember the words of Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Maybe that's exactly what they're saying. I belong to the road. And that's what we should think of when we see way. It is a road. The only road to God was Jesus. And they said, I belong to Him. I belong to that way. But I don't think that's it. I don't think that's only it, I should say. I believe there is also reference back to Old Testament prophecies. And I want you to go, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Isaiah this morning. I want you to go to Isaiah, the 40th chapter. We've been studying Isaiah on Wednesday nights at 7.30 here. And we've been going through that. And we keep seeing a lot of different things about that. And we don't have time to talk about everything in that. But one of the things that we see in the book of Isaiah is how much of Isaiah is pointing towards the Christ who was going to come. The one who was going to come and deliver. The one who was going to come and say how much that book talks about him. And so as we get in Isaiah, the 40th chapter, God wants to comfort His people. He wants them to know that He's forgiven them. But in verse 3, we have a familiar passage. A voice cries in the wilderness. And here's what the voice is saying. The The voice is saying, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway 
before our God. You see, what we would see in the prophets, especially in Isaiah, is that we knew that there was going to be a way, there was going to be a road that God was going to come to His people. And we know the person who was sent into the wilderness, into the desert to prepare the way, don't we? John the Baptist. He was the one who was given that job. He was the one that was told, you go and you prepare the way. And the people were looking for that. They were looking for God to come. And so you think about that, well, how's God going to come? He uses a picture you and I would well know. A road. He comes from afar. He comes from a distance. You see Him riding in from a distance. Well, you know the beautiful thing about that part of Him coming back? Was the prophecies of our highways for us to go to God. Now I want you to know how the language is used in Isaiah the 49th chapter. It's used in such a way is not that we would go to God, but that we would be brought back to God. And what that implies is this. Human beings, at some point in their life, they have been with God. That would be babies. That would be children. That would be those before sin enters into their life. But what happens is we have to be brought back to God. And there had to be a way made available. And Jesus is that way. So notice how it is said in Isaiah 49 that this way back to God is for all people. So notice in verse 5 that the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be His servant, and I think He's talking, Jesus is speaking here, He says, to bring Jacob back to him. Jacob is represented by Israel, the people of God. And that Israel might be gathered to him. He might get them back under his wings. So he said, I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord, and God is my strength. But notice what else he says to the Messiah in verse 6. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. But here it is. It's not just for Judah. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for Jews. But I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And he says, it is for all people. So now go down to verse 8. The Lord says, in a time of favor, Michael talks about this all the time. What's it mean when someone has favor? They look on you with kindness, with graciousness. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That's what's described. But in a time of favor, I have answered you, the Lord says. In a day of salvation, I have helped you and I will keep you and give you. Then go down now to verse 11. I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways will be raised up. And behold, it's like, I'll get the road up, and behold, look, these shall come from afar. And behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Cyrene. God says, I'm going to provide a way, and what you will find on that way 
are all of these peoples from different nations, from the east, from the west. Well, where in the world are they going? They're going to Jerusalem, the city of God. And I want you to see this picture as I say this very briefly in Isaiah 62. The city is also known as Zion. And we know from the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 that we've come to Zion, Mount Zion, heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. And in Isaiah 62, we get a picture of that city. And the city is told in verse 1 that it's going to have a different name. But I want you to notice this picture here. The picture in verse 10 is of you're in the city. And what God says and what the Lord says in verse 10, He says, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway." Clear it of stones and lift up a signal over the peoples. What God says is you go out and you prepare the way for people to come into my city. And here's what the people that come in, verse 12, they will be called. This city, they shall be called the holy people. There's our theme for the year. Be holy as I'm holy. If you come into my city, God says, you will be called a holy people. You will be called the redeemed of the Lord, the people who have been freed, the people who have been bought for their sins or from their sins. That's them. And they'll also call you the ones who were sought out. God came to you. God came to man. God looked for you like that shepherd who lost his sheep. You will be called the one sought out, a city not forsaken. It looked as though you had no way. It looked as though God had left you out there for the wolves. But He had not forsaken you. He's come back and He's saying, come to Me. And so that would happen for the enemies figuratively speaking, of Assyria and of Egypt, figuratively speaking. They would go all back and forth, and we would learn in Isaiah 19, they would set up an altar in Egypt. And they would go back and forth from Egypt to Assyria, and Jerusalem would be in the midst, and they would do that to worship the Lord of hosts. I think that's why they went with that name. His, they belong to Jesus. But this was the way that had been talked about throughout the prophets. And so they wanted to make sure we're on our way to see the King, the Lord of hosts. And the only way you do that is through Jesus. So what does the way of that day have to do with me? Right? Well, would you say you're a part of that way? That you belong to the way? Absolutely. If you've been baptized into Christ, you belong to Christ. And you are on that way. You belong to that way. But I want you to notice something else in Isaiah, the 35th chapter. Because here's what happens with these people. We saw that they would be called a city, uh, the holy people. In Isaiah, the 35th chapter, in 
clearly again a chapter about what happens in the days of Christ based on verse 5 and verse 6. Clearly about Jesus. But notice what happens in those days, verse 8. In the days of the Christ, a highway shall be there. And by the way, a highway is exactly what it is. It is a road that is elevated. It's a road that sits high. So guess what happens with a road that sits high? Everybody sees it, right? It calls the attention. A highway shall be there. And it shall be called the way or the road of holiness. Why? Because the people that are there are holy. Because no unclean thing shall pass over it. And it shall become to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray or they shall not wander on it. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. And they shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You see, what happens is if you're going to belong to this way, you have to be holy. Because the root itself is holy. It's set apart. There is nothing unclean on it. And that's what it said in Hebrews chapter 12. Without holiness or sanctification, depending on your translation, it's the same word. No man will see the Lord. If you're not holy as I am holy, God says you will not see me. Your path will not come to me. There's nothing unclean on that path. I want you to notice the next description. Our translations have apparently a tough time of translating at the end of verse 8. That even if they are fools, they shall not wander on it. I think the idea is you don't accidentally end up on this road. It is a road in which you choose to walk. We've probably all driven into New York City. Whether it's on the turnpike or whether it's in the tunnel. And here's what we see. Last exit before toll. What that says is, if you don't want to pay, you better get off now. It's the same idea. Unless you want to give up your life, and you want to be holy as God is holy, you will not walk on this path. Because as Jesus says in Matthew 7, it is difficult. It's hard. And Jesus says something very interesting after that. He says, and very few find it. I said this to somebody Wednesday night. You look in this audience right here, right now. Look at your friend next to you. Look at your family member next to you. We're not all making it. That's a fact. We're not all going to make it. Am I striving, as Jesus says, to enter that? Because He says, very few 
find it. And if you're on it, you chose it. You signed up for it. And there shouldn't be any turning back. Because on this route, you've got some safety. It said no lion will be there. But here's a problem. What was Paul doing? What was Saul doing as he went to Damascus? To persecute the way. What was happening in Ephesus? They were speaking evil of the way. They dragged them into the area. There was persecution. But guess what? Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that the Lord delivered me from the lion's mouth. Probably talking about the government of Rome. They had him imprisoned, and he had been imprisoned over and over and over again. He said, the Lord delivered me from that. And he says, the Lord will deliver me from everything. And he has just said, I'm about to be poured out as a drink offering. It doesn't promise that there won't be anyone out there to get you off. What he promises is that he will protect you from those lions along the way. And because of that, there's great joy. There's everlasting joy. They come back with singing because there is no easier, better route than on your way to see God. And I close out with an old, with a New Testament passage I want you to turn to in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is writing to people who are of the way. They belong to Christ. And he has to point out to them several different ways in verse 17 that in Christ you are a new creation. You're a new creature. You are different. You're no longer Jew. You're no longer Gentile. Yeah, you are, but that doesn't define you. What defines you is that you are in Christ. You belong to Christ. You belong to the way. And I want you to notice what is said in verse 18. That all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the apostles the ministry of reconciliation. What we have to see is that Christ is the way that God reconciled us back to Himself. And he says that several different times in the rest of this chapter. I want you to go to chapter 6 as the, as the conversation continues. Paul says, working together with Him, and that is Christ, then we appeal to you, to those of the way, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Remember how Michael talked about that a few weeks ago? Don't let it be in vain. I'm not going to let it be in vain. And he says, don't you take God's favor in vain. You belong to Him. You have these blessings. Don't let that go to waste. And notice what he quotes from here in verse 2. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. You know where that comes from? Isaiah chapter 49, a passage that we read ago, and verse 8. And what does he say? Behold, look. Just like you remember on the, the way that passage was, go out, raise the stones, raise the highway. Behold, they will come from afar, from the east and the west. Now notice how he maybe plays on that. Behold, 
Today is the day of salvation. As a kid, I always heard that as today's the day you, you, you need to be saved. Amen. He's writing to people who are already walking on the way. Today is the day that you choose to stay and keep walking on the way. That's today. And if God gives us tomorrow, then that's today. Brothers and sisters, the only way that we ever make it back to God is through Christ. Won't you be reconciled back to Him? If you're subject to the invitation anyway this morning, won't you come this morning as we stand and as we sing?